Hey, I'm Johnny King, and I'm a life enthusiast, growth mentor, and lifestyle fulfillment coach, which means I've dedicated my entire life to helping anyone who feels like they're not making the most of their potential to level up and live the extraordinary life of their dreams. You deserve to be the king or queen of your own kingdom, and I'll be alongside to help you be the best version that you can be. I'm psyched that you're here, so let's get to it. What's up? It's Johnny King. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Johnny King's show. I am here with my man, Derek McCoy. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, Johnny. We're, again, just hanging out in my house. It's very casual. That's what I love about the show is just uh, getting brothers and sisters together. Literally just had my sister on the show last episode. But, uh, yeah, just getting together real casually and having conversations that we would have otherwise, whether it be at a restaurant like we had last time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I heard about Derek because he was, uh, the, let's say, the keynote speaker at, uh, what was it called? Creative, Creative Mornings. Mornings. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then one of my buddies was there. was like, hey, you got to check out Derek. He's got such good stuff to say. He's very articulate, brilliant guy. So I reached out to you and gratefully you responded. We got some food at Avanti and, and then the rest is history. So you're going to be our... So as of this recording, as of right now, <clears throat> he's going to be my next speaker at my men's meeting uh, this coming week, which is going to be exciting. And we're going to talk about a lot of things, which are pretty, I mean, we set this up months ago. Yeah. It's kind of interesting, just the timing of everything that's going on in the world. Yeah. We met right before the pandemic hit. Yeah. And then it was like, all right, we're going to get together. And it's like, nope, quarantine it <laughs> up. And here we are, though. We stuck together. Yeah. And yeah. Appreciate gratefully. It. Yeah. Gratefully. So thank you again for being here and being part of the part of the men's meeting on monday but we've had some good conversations just about well why don't you before i even get into it why don't you just tell a little bit more about your background and mm-hmm. uh both education sports a little bit more of your from thirty thousand foot view your life story my elevator pitch on myself <laughs> yeah, so yeah. um expect no brilliance because yeah. um, i don't identify as a brilliant human being okay. but um i i did get decent grades growing up in school yeah. um I come from Colorado, Thornton, Colorado, just north of Denver. Um, grew up geeking out on sports, and I actually like school, too. I'm kind of a nerd. Yeah. Um, and then after high school, uh, Skyview High School, um, graduated in 99 and had the opportunity to play football at the University of Colorado. Uh, played up there for five years, redshirting, and um, started at wide receiver for my last three years up there. Nice. Had a pretty good career, um, concluding with some broken records, and Um, prediction to get drafted in the NFL in the third round and then I went to the NFL combine in Indianapolis and had one of the worst days of my life I underperformed Um, it was interesting because I could play in front of thousands of people and not get nervous and here I was in an empty stadium at the Colts stadium in front of uh, general managers and scouts and I got really nervous and just had a really bad performance so uh, blessing in disguise I took my draft stock off the radar and got um, a free agent look at St. Louis Rams Learned a lot from there. The greatest show on turf. Uh, shout out to Henry Eller, Tory Holt, Isaac Bruce, all these guys. That's when I was living in St. Louis. Kurt Warner was on the squad. I watched all of that, yeah. I'll never be uh, – uh, I'm still blown away to this day. They just came off the Super Bowl, and here I am walking through the weight room, and I see Kurt Warner right there, and he reaches his hand out and says, hi, I'm Kurt Warner. And I was just blown away that he was so humble that he told me his name. I'm like, I know who you are. Can I have your autograph kind of thing? But awesome. my experience in the NFL was short. I was a not for longer. And I call it a blessing in disguise because 
I was really hiding behind football. I, I would not have been able to have a conversation with Johnny King that was authentic because I was really shy and uh, introverted. And football sports allowed me to kind of hide that part of myself. So yeah. I didn't really have to speak up much. And uh, after football, I was sort of forced out of my shell and to, you know, something that's, you know, less comfortable for me, which is speaking in public. Um, since leaving football, I worked in Mapleton Public Schools where I grew up, did some coaching and teaching over there, and then I got exposed to this organization, Project PAVE, who I've been working with for the past eight and a half, nine years now, um, and now I direct a, a violence prevention program over there, which I really frame as we promote healthy relationships and healthy masculinity, so yeah, when I got connected with you through Creative Mornings, shout out to Lauren Shaw and Dave yeah. Mopper over there, yeah. um, I was really excited to hear what you were doing, yeah. and just you know instantly connected with you and have a lot of uh, commonalities in our experience with masculinity and I really appreciate you opening this conversation up to the world because yeah. guys need to talk and and you know we have a lot to work through and transform around our culture and you're a huge part of that uh, I appreciate it and likewise I think it's one of those things that uh, <clears throat> I know that like like we were talking about before we even started recording there's there's plenty of examples of what not to become as a man uh especially as a white man of power um abusing so many different people and powers that uh it's it's really scary and then i was talking with another one of my black buddies the other day he's like where's all the where's all the black leaders mm-hmm. you know and uh like the martin luther kings and <clears throat> everything else of this generation mm-hmm. you know who's who's speaking up and it's one of those things where i think um, just in general, I don't care about in terms of this conversation, black or white or everything in between, just where are the healthy versions of men, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like with the me too movement, everything else, like women and the world, uh, are calling out for that, mm-hmm. you know? And I think if it weren't for all of my crappy things that happened in my life too, I probably would still be a shell of a man as I was 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting how things happen in your life, my life that we could probably talk to as cat, the catalyst to yeah. evolution as a, as a man and finding our sense of masculinity. And mm-hmm. um, tell me a little bit more just about your upbringing though. <clears throat> did you have a, a father figure, a male mentor? Did you have anything? Was it coaches? Yeah. yeah I'll, I'll piggyback. Um, I'll piggyback your friend that you talked with on the where of the men of color before I go into my yeah, yeah, testimony. Sure. I was just watching a PBS special on the black Panthers last night. And, um, it was very strategic of the FBI to deconstruct the black Panthers because they saw a threat to their power. So, uh, they criminalized this organization and in that process made it very, um, intentional that when these leaders spring up, they get assassinated basically. So you have Malcolm X gone, you have Martin Luther King Jr. gone, you have the leads of the Black Panther gone. And that was what was really strategic is if we can basically cut the head of these organizations off, then the rest will die, the body will die, right? Um, and I don't wanna call these organizations a snake. I intentionally didn't say that. Um, but, but ultimately what's happening right now is there's a movement not led by one individual leader, but there's a movement of all of us and yeah. i feel like we're a part of that and there's that's something cool. yep, you cannot kill a movement without point. leaders we're all leaders so if i go back to my childhood um growing up in the church of christ uh jesus similar yeah not all right one leader yep. it's easy to martyr one leader yep. right so yep. get rid of that leader and then that movement changes totally. um but i grew up going to the church of christ and i'm very thankful to my parents my mom and dad and my grandparents for exposing me to that even though i didn't like church as a child because mm-hmm. it was a little bit drug out yeah. um those messages yeah. that jesus uh spit out just they stick in my heart to yeah. this day yeah. 
And um, my dad, I was fortunate enough for, you know, the first, actually, I, I didn't really know my dad until I was about three years old because he was stationed outside of where we were living. Um, and my mom was sort of my primary caregiver along with my sister. So I think I learned to be, um, you know, empathetic and in tune with my emotions a bit in those first three years, which yeah. led to me being called gay on occasion, oh, really? which, you know, I'm fine with being led by women in my early years. I think that's a strength for me for that foundation. Um, but then when my dad came in the picture, <clears throat> he struggled with different issues, um, around mental illness and addiction, um, coming from trauma and his yeah. experience with masculinity. And, you know, my, my home was, you know, a fractured home with domestic violence. And I didn't really get exposed to that because of the strength of my mom and my sister sheltering me from that. Um, but my dad was ultimately my coach from the age of five, six, until I was about 11 years old, and then he kind of went MIA on addiction. Um, so I was blessed to have uh, a father figure for those years of my life, yeah. and, and I'm still grateful for that. And, and I do this work in part not to demonize my dad, but to try and understand what is it that men go through that lead them to that path of mental illness, addiction, yeah. domestic yeah. abuse, yeah. even suicide. I have too many people on my network um, that have taken their own life, whether my cousin, Chris, my, my good friend from college, Gabe Oderberg, uh, Rashawn Salam, the only person at the University of Colorado that won the Heisman Trophy. So um, this experience with my male influences leads me to like, how can I be a part of the solution in transforming, transforming how we view and practice masculinity? Oh, that's huge. That's huge. Well, and, and I think that's the important part is that I do feel like, um, and it's been said before that all of the, well, not all, that's a, a broad brush, but let's just say the majority of the world's atrocities and uh, I don't know, horrible things that happen in the world are kind of provoked by, I feel like men that are deeply wounded. Like we yeah. talked about before we started recording. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, that's the sad part. It's like, you can kind of look back and see that it's, it's a cry for help, mm -hmm. you know, um, or a cry for significance, mm -hmm. you know, or it's just so much pain that like, if I'm going down, I'm taking you with me mm -hmm. type approach. And mm -hmm. that's the sad part where there'd be, you know, club shootings, movie theater shootings, driving through crowds, mm -hmm. driving planes into buildings. It's all of it. It's like, what, what are we doing? You know, it's to me, it's a testament to the, the culture of masculinity being associated with dominance over others, right? I want to see that narrative shift from dominance over others to I get to be in control of my own emotions. Mm -hmm. I get to experience these emotions and in a holistic kind of way yeah. where I'm not sh ashamed of any of those yeah. emotions on the spectrum, yeah. but that's not the narrative yet. We're working towards getting right. there so right. that we can be whole humans. But when the narrative is your masculinity is associated with power over people, you're going to see atro you're going to see all these atrocities over and over. And we're at a point 401 years into, you know, the American slave movement. And prior to that, you know, like dominance is dominance was the culture that led to that. Yeah, so yeah. like we're, we're rooted in thousands of years of dominance over as the standard and the norm. Yep, yep. And we have for far too long in this country pointed at those individuals as opposed to why is there so many individuals? What is it about this collective culture that's producing these individuals? Yeah. Maybe we need to change this collective culture instead of just pointing at the individuals. Yeah. So that's the kind of way I approach that in a, in a sort of how can we stop demonizing the individuals and start transforming the collective expectation? Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think you hit on something that I've thought about too. It's like, let's just look at the, the feminine mystique. Mm -hmm. um, again, not just women in general, but let's say those that are 
more pride primarily hardwired feminine mm -hmm. have have gone from a traditional role up through the 40s and 50s to still include and and it to be okay that you could be a stay-at-home mom mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. all the way to running for president mm -hmm. you know running opera you know running uh global uh companies and things like that and everything in between <clears throat> And yet when you look at the masculine mystique, it has still not really evolved much beyond physical prowess, mm -hmm. money, uh, yeah, just like power and that whole kind of like primal sizing up everyone in the room to see like yep. whose ass could I kick, you know? Yeah. And if not, then I guess I'm lower on the totem pole. It's just like, yeah, are we still cavemen? And in some respects, that's how we act that's how yeah. we're wired though too um <laughs> is it the amygdala the amphibian brain right sure. here at the brainstem yeah um <clears throat> if you think about like how our our culture promotes masculinity it teaches us to be in our primal brain right yeah. there's a quote from a harvard scientist that says um we are running off of um primitive no it was uh what is the word they use uh paleolithic emotions mm -hmm um godlike technology and medieval institutions right mm -hmm. so if you think about like how the masculine culture glorifies sex as a as a competition as a conquest if you think how the masculine culture glorifies like you know i always say we're taught to shut up with our emotions and fight with yeah. our fists to your point the yeah. dominance over each other as yeah. opposed to the collaboration with each other all of these things fuel the perpetuation of not evolving but staying in that yeah. primal brain yeah. which you know conquer and divide it keeps the power systems in place if we're just spinning competition against each other which is why you know i keep hear, hearing people say what the revolution is well this is the revolution yeah, right here yeah. we're not competing with each yeah. other and since the day we met we've been very collaborative and yeah. trying to find that common grounds of how can we collaborate to make an impact outside yeah. so yeah. that to me and then the feminine mystique that you bring up um what's interesting to me is the feminine mystique i feel like has has been stifled in development too because of masculinity and when i hear you describing women taking on these different roles that's really women kind of morphing to fit into the masculine culture it's still, yeah right? it's still like business and everything yeah. that's masculine focused correct mm -hmm. right well and i and i was going to say too in terms of <clears throat> that concept i think it's we had we probably talked for 10 or 15 minutes before we started recording we probably should just start recording but yep. <laughs> it is what it is but to to rephrase what i said earlier which is you know so much of what's going on is is around the world that our atrocities are dealt by the hands of i think a lot of it by insecure um men who are deeply wounded and i felt like i feel like at least i can only look at you know speak from my experience that as I've continued to heal my own bullshit and, you know, trauma um, from my past, have I been able to get to a point where I'm not threatened by someone else's gifts, mm -hmm. you know, don't get me wrong. It still comes up. I still get it where there's that twinge of like, Oh, I don't, I don't. And then I have to check myself. I'm like, well, where's that coming from? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And is that, you know, and sometimes it's, it is as, as, primitive is like oh he's taller than me he's better looking than i am he's younger than i am he's more successful i'm like god does it really does it really come down to that but sometimes it's a, that's my initial reaction which is just a very kind of low energy um reaction to to life in general and, and judgment you know and mm -hmm. to to 
one of my other buddies who's been on the show, Rashawn, like it's just like implicit biases that I have. That I'm sure I've been programmed through my upbringing that I'm not even aware of. Yep. Right. Um, that have me judge people for their skin color or their size or their success or their sex mm-hmm. or, and I just need to keep, you got to bring it to the, I feel like a big part of it obviously is bring it to the surface. So I become emotionally aware of it. Yep. And then you start to, to, kind of unravel it i guess yeah that to me is that you just basically gave a template or a recipe for developing emotional literacy we are deeply taught to be emotionally illiterate specifically as boys and men so in that process what you're modeling to me and i think it's really important here to to keep in mind as as men as we start to transform our wiring our, our neuroscience inside yeah. is not to be ashamed of that stuff coming up but to what you're doing is dialoguing with it okay Phil, I'm catching myself and, and I'm catching myself in maybe a bullshit moment where I'm maybe I'm problematic, but don't be ashamed of that. Just think about how you were wired yeah. to express yourself yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, because ultimately we get into this paralysis when that stuff comes up and then we start to feel shame around it. Yeah. It's like, no, the process of transformation should not include being ashamed right. of your past experiences, right. Right. but dialoguing with them so that you can transform because we all have the power to rewire our, our neurons in our brain. Yep. If we do the work, it's right. just rehabituating how we think about things. Right. Um, so being intentional about that and like, even looking to like, Hey, you're a good looking dude. I look at you, Johnny, and you're like, you're a muscly kind of guy. I can tell you work out. You're in shape, bro. <laughs> I'm a muscly type of guy. I'm a meathead is what you're saying. Not yeah, a meathead. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, and I was going to say too, it's, uh, you know, Brene Brown talks about how like the antidote to dealing with shame is like to, to get it out into the open. Like mm-hmm. it only feeds on itself and grows in areas of secrecy. Until you name it is what she says, right? right? Yeah. Until you name it, until you like get it, until you expose it. Mm-hmm. And men especially, I feel like, because um, they come out of the men's meetings. That's a big part of just my, my monthly men's meetings. Like just to allow men to facilitate conversations to where they realize, Oh, I'm not the only one that feels shame yep. or feels like I'm not enough. Yep. You know, like when you start seeing that, then you start to see to, at least for my, my process was just to, to, to allow myself to understand that this is actually more just human behavior of how we were programmed out of maybe survival. Yep. Um, and yet if you can intentionally then, like you said, name it, <clears throat> you can give yourself the grace mm-hmm. and the forgiveness to, to then begin to level up without shaming yourself for feeling mm-hmm. that way. You yeah. know, I think that's a big part of the, the evolution of, of progress. In that yeah. sense. And, and, and when it comes to us men starting to open up and share that kind of stuff, we yeah. break ourselves out of that isolation yeah. um, because I use the bro code as the example, right? Here's this card, the man card, right? Man up and you get this card, right? Well, that card expects you to throw out your true self. Mm-hmm inauthenticate yourself to live up to this card. Um, Terry Crews, I think, says it well. Um, that man card is given and taken, <laughs> right? It doesn't matter how much of that man card you have. If you slip up in these man rules, then that card is taken, right? And there's the um, the man-on-man policing, the boy-on-boy policing that comes with that, which in that policing, we degrade femininity with feminine language. Totally. We degrade degrade gay people with gay language and it just perpetuates this inauthentic inauthentication of self i'll go for this card forget yourself throw your ass out the window to get this card 
it's not fully accessible for anybody because it's not a human card. Right. It's a construct right. of control over us. And then when we realize that, it's like, oh, you're dealing with that too? I didn't even know this card existed, right? Even though those rules are pretty firm in place, when we name it, it's like, oh, I don't want that. I want me. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I think I, I, and I struggle, I go back and forth with some things because well, two different things that pop into my mind while you're saying that is one is like all of, you know, and I've said this on past episodes, um, but, but it's relevant to this conversation. Whereas every time I put out Facebook ads mm-hmm. to drive men in the Denver area to, to my men's meetings, there's frequently one, if not a couple of guys that say some type of gay slur mm-hmm. you know or challenge us as not men yep. because if you're not really a man i mean if you if you're not a man but you're looking to get together with other non-men mm-hmm. to talk about masculinity then you're not a man to begin with you know mm-hmm. that comes up and i'm like oh, there's just a lot of kind of chauvinist you yeah. know um biases that come out just on comments of my facebook ads i'm like this is why we're doing it exactly. this is exactly why we're doing it yeah. um but the other, the other thought that I have too is like I struggle sometimes because we all have our wounds. We have all struggled, um, <laughs> you know, and I've talked openly about my past failings, whether it be in relationships and business and health and all those other things in my life. And then I have other friends who have struggled with, you know, infidelity, mm-hmm. you know, or family members and things like that. That's like, <clears throat> at, I guess the challenge for me is like, do you take away that, like, where's the line of like unconditionally loving them mm-hmm. and, and continuing to hold them to a higher standard mm-hmm. versus just kind of like doing what guys a lot of times do, which is like, uh, I'm just going to sweep it on the rug and not really pay attention to, it. I know what you're up to, mm-hmm. you know, like even if it were like performance enhancing drugs, kind of be like, uh, like dude, you do just, you just do your thing. I'm going to keep doing my thing, even though we're on the same team together. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And so I'm not going to be the whistleblower, but I also am not going to say anything, <clears throat> but I feel like that's even from what I was watching last night, I'm going, I'm going all over the place, but I was watching the Jeffrey Epstein uh, Netflix documentary. And there's so many people that just kind of turned a blind eye, mm-hmm. blind eye because of his power and money. I'm like, where's that, where's that line between the Matthew code of like, calling a brother out mm-hmm. while also just not giving up on them entirely, you know, you, cause I've done both. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's, I've had buddies who I'm like, you know, what? screw you. I've also had <laughs> buddies who've said totally screw me to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of like, come on, bro. Where's, where's the bro code of like having my back. Right. Right. And so I struggle then with like how to find that. What are your thoughts in that whole conversation? If that makes sense. No, it does make sense. And it's, it is a, is it's a big question. Um, because there's there's so many layers to that right and um going back to the to the man card um i have had situations and i'll and i'll share a story for this Uh, it's sort of the call in versus the call out approach right Mm -hmm. um i've been called out and that typically is like all right let's fight (laughs) right um in in subtle or extreme ways um so before I got educated on masculinity and socialization, um, I still had these morals and values in me. And I always took issue with the objectification of women and girls and the way that we talk about women and girls when women and girls aren't around, that really bothered me. And then there's this expectation of the man card that that's between us. And we can talk differently when, when they're around but it's this two-faced kind of expectation, right? That, that shows up when we, 
when we call each other out or uh, we do something that breaks that code. So I'll go back to, um, you know, I was about 25 years old and a, a friend at the time who was very misogynistic and um, had layers and layers of unresolved trauma from uh, childhood sexual abuse to, you know, family members passing away, just trauma after trauma and being born dark skin in the United States, which hopefully everybody realizes now is not really a free thing. Right. Um, so for me, it was like, well, where's the respect for women? Why wouldn't you have the respect for women? And I was really thinking from my perspective, instead of all of his adverse childhood experience, but I called this dude out right in front of a woman that he was seeing at the time. And I knew for a fact he was treating her like an object um, because when we were by ourselves, he was calling her an object basically. So I call him out and I broke the bro code and I basically fractured that friendship. And, and his thing was D broke the bro code. He's out of the man club kind of thing. And my thing was, pardon my language, fuck the bro code. I think in human code, yeah. uh, which if you study psychology, there's more that overlaps between male and female that is human than there is these extremes of masculine and feminine. We're all kind of human XXXY, right? We have to have that X first. We're all coming from a woman. Um, but if I go back to that experience, like I would have never called him out way this day right here because I understand all of his trauma, all of how broken he is. Yeah. That He didn't hear that. So I would have rather taken him to the side, like, man, you know, let's talk, you know, like, yeah. why do you think that being with all these women and using them is going to heal your trauma, right? Um, I didn't have that language at the time. I didn't have those skills. Um, so, so when it comes to pausing and reflecting upon how the, the masculine culture has maybe damaged you in your experience uh, I want to lean into Brene Brown's work again like yeah. shame does not work and that's what I tried to do that day is that's my only tool shame, shame you yeah. right yeah. Um, if we can pursue others with curiosity hmm, and then creatively engage them in a dialogue now rather than trying to control them I'm trying to understand them and giving them a, a, a dialogue so that they can reflect for themselves and come to that answer for themselves. And I don't think that's just a masculine thing. I think in, in general, most humans yeah. would rather be able to figure it out themselves than be told what to do. Correct. Correct. Because it still comes back to, I think, our deeper fears of not feeling like that we're enough. Yeah. And exactly. Won't be loved. And so that's like this important, especially for men, where I feel like women are a lot more collaborative. Mm -hmm. Like, well, tell me what your thoughts are. Like, men are like, well, don't tell me <laughs> directions. Yeah. I want to figure it out myself because yep. I have to prove it to myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I feel like that's, that's a big part of the, the ego that needs to be put aside yep. in that sense. But it's like, you're absolutely right. Like, that's, that's the challenge. And that's what I've been thinking through. I'm like, you know, is, is knowing about one of my buddies, you know, behavior that's not necessarily the of highest vibration if you will mm -hmm. uh not calling them out really just allowing it to to be perpetuated am i enabling it versus you know saying something but doing it in a way and that's the scariest thing is like doing it in a way that's uh loving empathetic mm -hmm. compassionate mm -hmm. without hopefully burning that bridge yeah um but knowing, and it's, I'm almost from the place of like, I would rather at least say something and say, mm -hmm. Hey bro, this is how you're showing up to me, mm -hmm. you know? And, uh, this is, and challenge him to kind of raise his game. And if he's not willing to step into that, mm -hmm. then I guess it is what it is. Got to change the front row seats of your life. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, to your point, one other, one other additional comment I was going to make was just how that, that culture is perpetuated and maintained due to silence. 
right? Yeah. So you're yeah. you're exactly correct. Yeah. I would I think maybe calling out is 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 better than silence. Yeah. Um, but for me, I just recognize how calling out is often a shameful approach, totally. and it's felt as shame. But there's ways that unavoidable, right? Yeah. Where it's not a call in moment. Like yeah. What you're doing is problematic and dangerous yeah. and it's jeopardizing that person's safety. So we definitely need to intervene in whichever ways we feel safe to do so. But silence is, is the exact reason why. And you see that in, in George Floyd's passing right there, right? Like that masculine culture of silence towards other men, like you can say something about somebody else or even do something to somebody else, but you can't call out another man on that bro code. Whereas, you know, you have an Asian police officer, another police officer that looked like me without the beard, and then another white police officer in Minnesota who none of them say anything because that man card was actually more ingrained in them than their morals and ethics. That man card says, fuck your morals and ethics. Masculinity is the patriarch and the dominance. And it's not saying it in that language. It's coded language. Right. But when we start to point at and talk about the coded language, I think more guys that you're talking about come on your show that look at that card might pause. And that to me is what we want to do is just influence them to pause for a second and critically think, is this masculine culture really working for you? Is it really working for us? Yeah. Which I think is the importance going back to just being (laughs) being fathers to the next generation, Mm -hmm. actually being present, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, because going back to what you mentioned earlier, I've watched now a couple of times, 13th, the documentary on Netflix, which was like, you know, to, to cut the head off of the snake, if you will. um, It's like, let's dismantle all, all the leaders of, of the black community, mm-hmm. you know, systematically from the eighties until now, mm-hmm. let's say by incarcerating. And why is it that, as it says at the very beginning, we have 5% of the population in the U S and 25% and 25% of that population is incarcerated. Most of them being black males. Right. Yep. So that's ruining. I just, I'm a fervent believer that like having the balance of masculine and feminine to mentor and, tr- you know, to properly raise the next generations mm-hmm. i feel like <laughs> is a big challenge i see a lot of you know my buddies who are who have healthy relationships with their wives or with their significant others whether we're talking about straight or, or gay it's like if they're coming from a healthy relationship of mom and dad mm-hmm. they're attracting a healthy partner mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. a lot of times i'm seeing guys that are really struggling um are are attracting unhealthy relationships and i'm I'm part of it as well, mm-hmm. you know, that statistic. And I think a lot of that is like, it comes back to, gosh, thank God I know what I know now so that when I have kids in the future, I can kind of just support them and not tell them exactly how to be, but just to increase their, their level of awareness. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And you've got three kids, two kids. Three kids. I have a, a daughter who's 20 from a previous relationship yeah. and now I'm married with two little ones. So what's, five and seven. what's that like? Just being, knowing what you know, knowing what you're imparting mm-hmm. upon them, versus maybe what you didn't get when you were growing up or mm-hmm. just actively taking a role in that, which I think is helping change the, the masculine yeah. mystique and the, has yeah, it been? it's, you know, we pursue parenting in a sort of gender neutral way yeah. in a gendered world. Yeah. Right. So same sort of expectation for discipline and behavior for both little ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but realizing we live in a gendered world and they're wide awake. Right. Yeah. And, and, wake in the womb and once they come out and people think that this is this empty vessel and it's like no when you have a baby that baby is whole um and then you get into 
they're exposed to the world, right? Through the media, through the schools, through friends. Um, and, And they start to formulate their identity, not just based on what they're seeing their mom and dad do, but what they see other boys and girls do in society, other men and women doing in society. So gender neutral in a gendered world where we have a boy that, you know, he grew his hair out uh, from birth. He never wanted a haircut and he got his first haircut in kinder. No, in first grade, he got his first haircut or right before first grade. Um, And no, that's wrong. At the end of kindergarten, he got his first haircut. So he has hair with a ponytail right here. And you can imagine only boy with that kind of hair do he's getting called a girl pulled hair, these kind of things. And he doesn't want me to go off into the school and go off, which I wouldn't do. But so he does, he filters some of this stuff and makes it seem like it's better than it is until he makes this decision that he says is for himself to cut his hair. And it's like, we know, we see, we hear there's some reasons besides just your own choice. So he gets that haircut. Um, He identifies as a boy and always has Um, even with the ponytail and the little girl, she dresses like a princess. And what's interesting to me is they are parented with consistency. playing with dolls together, stuffed animals, digging in the dirt, working with me, playing with trucks. They both play with the whole, so the gender toys. They play with girls and boys toys, which to me is, that's foundational for how we're socialized sure. is what toys were given and what toys were not given. Yeah. And you already start to marginalize through the toys and you see it in the toy section, you know, what's for me and what's not for me. And if I'm doing something that's not for me, I'm going to get marginalized. Pink section for the girls to this day. The boys section has more greens, reds, blacks, blues, more colors actually on the boys section. But girls are being taught still to this day to be more nurturers, get the baby doll. Boys are being taught more to this day to be soldiers, go, go play rough, right? We think boys are just naturally rough. They're not, we're teaching them to be rough. And girls are just naturally nurturers. We're teaching them to be nurturers. Girls and boys are so much more than that, but we kind of pigeonhole them into this. And to me, it's just a matter of having that dialogue with them. Dress like a boy, dress like a girl, status quo, whatever, cool. Um, But we all need to learn how to work through our emotions and let's talk about what you're going through. So um, it is this, this interesting phenomenon because I know too, that like most boys aren't getting this kind of conditioning. So just being transparent about like, this is what other boys are learning. So that's why that's showing that. Right. And we all have to defend ourselves. So learning that from a gentle upbringing, like our little guy doesn't like to fight. And I respect that in him. He's a peaceful person but there's people that take advantage of that in this world. So it's like, I don't have the answers to that question. I'm human moving through this and just adapting along the way. Yeah. Well, what a great gift for, for you and late and you and your lady to, to kind of impart that upon them just because they're going to be so much further ahead (laughs) than than I was. Yeah. Than us. But yeah. And I think that there's a lot more emotional intelligence in general. Uh, It's becoming more of a societal level priority. And I want to see social emotional literacy kind of foundational in early childhood through college. And it should be a part of our workforce right now because we're lacking emotional literacy and no shame to us. We just, that is something that, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, we're all analytical and we're realizing, okay, well, guys have a high suicide rate. Why, why is, why is the, the identity with the most power, 35 to 55 year old men have the highest suicide rate, right? Um, and why is it male-bodied people that commit suicide at a higher rate? Not that girls never do it, but it's a far higher rate. And then most mass shootings and acts of violence, as you were talking about atrocities earlier, 98% 
male-bodied people. Yep. Right? Women have access to guns. Yep. Why aren't they going out and, and shooting places? Yep. Up? Well, it's not a part of their identity to feel inadequate without power over people, right? Mm-hmm. That's not a part of their socialization. So you see white males doing this. You see males in general doing these mm-hmm. things as an act of like, how do I get my power back? And didn't realize that that card never gave you your true power and your true power has nothing with dominance over anybody. The few times that I have felt deep shame for when I've snapped, mm-hmm. <laughs> snapped at one of my best friends on the soccer field, a few other places, I, I just was so lost in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I was so, uh, so angry. So like, I wasn't even present to, mm-hmm. to anything. I wasn't even, I mean, I was playing soccer, but I wasn't really there and it just was a boiling over point, mm-hmm. you know, which again goes back to circle around to what we we're talking about where I feel like it's so healthy and where men don't typically do this. Um, and that's why I'm working to change that narrative too, to, to just talk about their feelings. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a buddy yesterday that posted like on Facebook, that he's really struggling. And I reached out to him like, Hey, would you like to talk about it? Um, but there's still that sort of that re- reluctance as well. Like, yeah. oh, I don't know. That's what women do. Yeah, I'll figure it out. Yeah. You know, it's like, that's the challenge. But yep. I feel like if you don't, it's just a pressure cooker. Mm-hmm. And if you don't actually let it out in a healthy way, then it comes out oh, yeah. in, in horrible ways, whether it be something as, as bad as suicide or shooting other people, or it shows up in like, you know, being, being addicted to working out. You exactly. Know? I was going to say perfectionism. Yeah. Perfectionism, working out, you know, women or just, mm-hmm. you know, being promiscuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just comes out in a lot of, and I think that's what, starts to skew that whole like toxic masculinity expression, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. which I say it's called toxic. It's just kind of like the, the shadow. It's the hurt, the hurting side, wounding side of yep. masculinity, you know? Did you watch the last dance? With yes. The Bulls? Okay. Yes. So and this has so many layers of what yeah. we're talking about yeah. in it. I, I love, I love how emotional Michael Jordan is in yeah. it, how he's not afraid to show like, yeah, yeah I'd still get a tear over that. Go ahead and cut the cameras. <laughs> um, and this is what people refer to as maybe the, the greatest sports star of all time. Right. Like my generation, our generation, we like, that's where we're coming he's from. Who I, who um, I looked up to was, he was my, that's what my I'm guy. in your story of soccer. And then if I put myself in high school basketball, like that's where I, that's where I got my, that's where I got my sort of identity was in sports. And it wasn't just in sports. It was being really good at sports and winning at sports. And I remember a dunk contest in high school. And I just, my buddy's um, 40th birthday was recently. And I just, I apologized to him um, because this is a friend that I grew up with. And here we are in a dunk contest in our high school basketball team. And I win all the dunk contests because I can jump higher and do all these things or whatever. Um, and I lose this dunk contest. The coach is like, all right, you guys are in. And I'm like, what? I definitely did the bigger dunk. And I'm looking around and like, how is this even possible? Right. I, I kind of felt like Jordan when he lost. Like yeah. that was my archetype. So my friend comes up to me and is like, calm down, Derek, you always win. And I get into an argument with him. Get he, and then I get into a fight with my good friend yeah. and I hit him. Yeah. And I still regret that to this day. But I see that. I don't shame myself for that. I see that that's, that's a learning moment for me. And it's the same thing with Michael Jordan is winning is never enough. He's like, you got to keep winning and winning and winning. Right. And that's how I was kind of programmed to see life. And that's the man card right there, right there. Like is winning really that fulfilling? 
in those ways. Right. Is beating others really that fulfilling? You know, you know, it was more fulfilling than winning that dunk contest. Being at my friend's 40th birthday party, mm. that was more fulfilling. Seeing his kids running around, that yeah. was more fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious how that might come to your, your story about soccer. If this like competitive rage might've been something uh, to do with that. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, and I loved, I've kind of watched it through twice now, the last dance, just because I, there's, and that's the thing. It's like, <clears throat> Just as a guy, and I, and I watched the other one on Lance Armstrong. You I, know? I gotta watch that one. Yeah, it's really good on uh, ESPN Plus. But you know, there's a guy where he came in. He had you see a lot of similarities between MJ and Lance, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lance now didn't have the father figure, or he had an abusive father figure, um, stepfather figure, and at the very beginning of that whole documentary, and I'll get around to my point, is uh, his mom either changes his birth certificate or whatever and she and she kind of like i mean he was really competitive he wanted to get into the triathlon <clears throat> so i fudged a little bit because mm. he was one year younger so i mean but he still smoked everybody right. i was kind of like no that's exactly where that's parenting yeah mm-hmm. where you're you're making it okay as a 14 or 15 year old yep. athlete to lie mm-hmm. just so that you can win you know rather than Hey buddy, just keep training. You'll get there next year. Yep. That sets the, sets the precedence for him. And he came into a sport that was already doping and everything else. So he kind of was like, well, do I join the ranks and succeed? So I kind of see like win at all costs. I look at that again as like, it's the science of achievement. It's like, it's, you can focus totally on winning, but then are you going to actually be fulfilled at all? I never was. I've, I've won right? championships throughout my whole life. And I just told my mom recently that, being such a successful athlete who yeah. made it to the NFL, always getting good grades in, in, in life. And I did not start to feel adequate about myself until I realized that I, I never had felt adequate about myself. Mm-hmm. And, and this is two or three years now that I'm starting to work into mm-hmm. feeling adequate. But to piggyback your point about Lance Armstrong, if you go back to Michael Jordan's childhood, mm-hmm. his adequacy was not in Mike being Michael Jordan, the human being. Right. It was in, oh, I have to be a competitive athlete to fit in with my family, Mm -hmm. and then I have to be that in society. Mm -hmm. So that card had a huge impact on Michael Jordan to this day. I mean, he's hunting Marlins right now as we speak, trying to get that championship. And and my thing is, how can we instill in boys and men that they're good enough? Not not by winning against others or over others, but by, I feel that, honestly, Johnny, I feel adequate right now. I feel adequate in our conversation. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I'm better than you, you're better than me. Mm -hmm. It's, we're building together. And I felt the same adequacy when I first met you. If I were competing against you in a sport right now, I don't think I would feel as adequate. And is that a challenge to the power structures? Yeah, absolutely. But the power structures that be are not allowing for people to embrace and enjoy themselves. Mm -hmm. I deeply believe that Michael Jordan deserves to feel adequate regardless of his championships. And I'll bring out Junior Seau is the same. One of yeah. the best linebackers of all time is no longer with us. And I know CTE and everything, but what about his masculine conditioning that didn't allow him to feel adequate with his humanity right. post-retiring from right. the NFL? Right. And I think why I bring that all up too, uh, to piggyback off your idea, is like there's a part of me, whether I'm watching MJ or Lance, even though Lance cheated, as well as everyone that he was competing against. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Um, there's still a part of me, even though he's, I think he's kind of a dick. He's an asshole. I still like MJ more, you know, because <laughs> yeah. MJ was clean and he did it, you know, right in many different ways. 
but was also kind of an asshole to his oh, yeah. teammates, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But there's still a part of me, just as a man, that I, I respect it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a part of me that, that still respects their commitment to their craft and the ruthlessness of, is it maybe winning or maybe it's just more, as I'm literally saying this, I think maybe it's more just that level of high standard yeah. that they kept that I actually, that I aspire to, mm-hmm. to emulate without necessarily rolling over people, yep. you know, but I yep. love the whole team aspect um, of doing together versus, you know, being on like a, a solo team sport. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's actually now that I said more of what I respect about both of those men is just that not win at all costs, but just that willingness to risk mm-hmm. failing mm-hmm. or putting all of all that you've got into it and not actually being enough, yep. which I'm sure a lot of those guys that <laughs> competed against, I mean, how many guys yeah. played against Jordan? It was like, they were so good. Yeah. Barkley, let's say, yep. you know, like they got no championships and like, damn it. Mm-hmm. You know, or people that are playing against Tom Brady, you're like, damn it. Like, yeah. do I really have to be playing against the goat right now? Yep. Like that's, that's brutal. But yet at the same time, of course you have to look at as you're, you're the best of the best. You get, you want to go up against the best. So it's an opportunity. Yep. Right. I honestly get like kind of amped up just hearing you say that. Cause yeah. I still have that in me. I'm yeah. wired. I'm wired for that kind of right. competition, but I have transformed myself. And I think that this can be the co- collective shift is, is to where I too admire that level of yeah. drive yeah. and passion yeah. to just pour yourself into it. Cause totally. honestly, when I'm in the process pouring myself into something, I feel the most alive and most yeah. free right there. Yeah. Cause I'm not worried about this or that I'm present in the moment. And, and I think that that's something that we can look at Jordan and even Lance Armstrong and yeah. so many others, um, for that work ethic. Yeah. But how can we pursue that kind of drive and ambition not to beat others, but to build self? Correct. Because in that process, Michael Jordan did build self to yeah. a whole nother level, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, was it for the purpose of dominating others on the opposing team? Maybe, but yeah. regardless, he yeah. built himself. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what sports has given me to this day, drive and this work ethic to regardless of what the outcome is, Bring it every day. Yeah. Do whatever you can every day. And over time, that's going to – even if Jordan didn't win all those championships, it still wouldn't have been yeah. a bad thing, right? Like you think about the, the Utah Jazz. Yeah. Those guys were freaking phenomenal, right? They yeah. could never beat Jordan. Yeah. But ultimately, I see them get on the, the camera. I see John Stockton hop on the camera, and he doesn't seem like he's, you know, fractured for life because he never beat Jordan yeah Yeah. you know that was not in vain for him he and I love his statement too like I didn't care who Jordan was we were coming out to do what we did which was focus on us and come out with the the win and and I think that if we just reframe what the win is correct the win is personal growth right as opposed to the win is beating Johnny right the win being a standard of excellence Mm -hmm. which is what like I was talking about with with the book that I'm writing it's like that's that's to to become you know, or at least to be able to, to look back on your life and be like, I left it all on the field. Yes, sir. That's, that's all I really ask for for myself. Mm-hmm. And yet if we collectively were all to do that as men and as women, um, then this, all we could do is raise the, yep. the standard of, you know, of excellence, not perfection, but excellence in terms of mm-hmm. like just going all out, being yep. the best, just being the best that you have with your God-given gifts to be the best spouse, parent, mm-hmm. you know, whatever your craft is to have the best health. Like that's, I think that's just the best thing that I, that I at least kind of aim for is like, I want to be someone that is worthy of 
being emulated not from like oh up on a pedestal but like no he set a bar mm-hmm. you know just kind of like michael jordan did mm-hmm. and, and i played basketball wanting to become mj as well it's like okay set the bar but not from a place of like lack of worthiness but more from a place of like oh if he can do it yep. then then that means i can do it because mm-hmm. we're all coming from in my belief coming from the same source mm-hmm. so it's just an expression to me of of god in in each of us and we all have our own talents i'm just mm-hmm. i'm not built like lebron james so yeah. you know does that mean i couldn't made it to the nba of course not but i mean i very well could have if i put in the time i think it's just about like where are our our gifts best utilized mm-hmm. and then just to go full into those mm-hmm. versus holding back out of fear which is what i did primarily for the most of my life or 30 years of my life mm-hmm. fear of actually going all in mm-hmm. because then without going all the way all in when i did fail you know in my mind mm-hmm. then i had at least an out because mm-hmm. in the back of my head i'm like i didn't fully do it give it anyway. i didn't go all in but had i i'd probably been really good mm-hmm. i could have gone d1 if i'd actually tried Jeez, Johnny, mm-hmm. just so that's been my whole charge over the last 10 years of personal growth has been like set that standard and then kind of like Michael Jordan did. It's like, and that's why I liked about him was like during practice, I'm going to give you hell because I know when we get out there yeah. in game seven and the moment, like that's going to be even worse. Like, if you can't handle this, bro, then get yep. off the team. Yep. And that's kind of where I want to, you know, create that sense of brotherhood around me of brothers who are like, we're setting a very high standard mm-hmm. and I'm going to hold, I'm going to call you in mm-hmm. to being your best. Right. Otherwise what's the point of this life? If we're just kind of allowing, uh, what do you call it? I'm trying to think of a certain word, just uh, settling for good enough yeah. essentially. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I'm just, I'm not a fan of. And it, no. it triggers me because I've done that for too much of my life. Okay. Yeah. And if you think about, um, the balance of that though. Cause I, I think about the bulls again and it was, and there's people that don't like Michael Jordan for who he was and yeah. practice with his teammates or whatever. Um, but I just want to point out that Michael Jordan did not create the oppression that he was born into. Mm-hmm. And the Avenue to get out of that oppression was basketball for him. Mm-hmm. It was school and football for me. And I was pursuing basketball as well, but he was in that arena yeah. that he didn't build. Yeah that honestly white society built, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And he is a real world example of this is what has to be done to meet that level yeah. of expectation yeah. that people want to get out of this. And he took it to a whole nother level because, you know, people talk about Kobe Bryant and all these other athletes, but my pushback is I don't really like to rank people at all. Cause I think that's part of the problem. Um, but Michael Jordan took it to such a high level that he went from, the Bulls being not at all known anywhere to every channel in the nation, every city in the nation had WGN on it. Uh, I got to watch Michael Jordan every night when I was a child because he was so good and he met that white cultural standard of excellence, Mm -hmm. right? So we can't shame him for what he did there because that was actually white cultural standard that he he knocked out of the park. He hit that home run, right? but at the same time, his true humanity comes out in his emotions and his interviews and the relationships that he values as a person yeah. and his teammates' testimony that outside of the court, he was really easy to be around. Yeah. He was fun. He was yeah. joking. He was yeah. all these things. So don't think that Michael Jordan on the court is, is authentic Michael Jordan. Yeah. 
who he is authentic Michael Jordan. And that's the case for a lot of institutions in the United States. We force ourselves into whatever we need to to survive in that arena. And we often get discredited for who we have to be to survive in this world when it's like we wouldn't even really be that. But here's the social standard that we live up to. So I guess then the question is how how do we go about constructing the 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 playing field, you know, mm-hmm. with the rules that we want for our generation or generations to come, mm-hmm. you know, by maybe unraveling the the game that has been set up for us, which is not fair. Right. You know, but like, still oh, keeping all... the same work ethic though. Correct. Still saying that 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 standard of excellence, but then leveling the playing field. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like a hey, me and, and us white guys are up here and you all start back there and mm-hmm. this is not going to be a fair race, but mm-hmm. this is the race that we're running, you mm-hmm. know? And so how do we create that to where <clears throat> it's just, there's, like you said, multiple, to it. Mm-hmm. it's going to take time, probably yep. multiple generations. Mm-hmm. Right. But at least, like I said, at the end of my life, and I've said this multiple times, and I think you're maybe the, just to have said that I've taken responsibility for my, for right. my behavior yep. and done everything I could to, kind of maybe to de- deconstruct certain things and mm-hmm. to construct a healthier way of being yep. for ourselves and for future generations is, is all we could probably ask for. Absolutely. And I can't wait to read Standard of Excellence. Um, but also in, in this conversation, what I feel like the new true playing field is, is <clears throat> throw this damn man box card rules yeah. out the door. And, and you often hear people using this, this uh, phrase, I'm staying in my lane, right? Yeah. I'm doing my thing. I'm staying in my lane. Well, I think that the new framework should be authentication of this, of this true self and development of this lane. Right. And that lane might get broad or narrow depending on what facet of life that I'm in. Um, But that authentication of your lane building, you're in your lane. I'm in my lane. And that's actually a win-win situation. When I'm doing my thing in my lane, I don't have to control you to try and be what my lane is Mm -hmm. because my lane needs that complement of your lane. And if we could look at ourselves as not this one uh, automatized version of masculinity, yep. but this broad range yep. of masculine expression yeah. and feminine expression and yeah. non-binary expression. All of that, though, is masculine and feminine is human. And I think that when we get to how do we model feminine and masculine in a healthy way, understanding that masculinity has been built on the rejection of feminine to this point, I think that before we own our masculine and feminine as men, I think we have to phrase, label that as human. Yeah. I, I think it, me, you and me can handle yeah. masculine and feminine. We'll yeah. do that, right? Yeah. We're, we're a little bit, we're steeped in this reflection. Yes. But the, the guy that's coming in that's fully like, this is, this is pussy stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. I need to frame his emotions as human to him because yeah. they are human. Yeah. And having a way to meet people where they're at, not with shame, but understanding Mm -hmm. so that they'll wake up to see that like where I'm at is not, it wasn't built for me Mm -hmm. and I deserve better and we all deserve better. It's funny you say that because that's literally what I was going to say is like in concluding this, you know, conversation, because we could probably talk for hours. Like how, Mm -hmm. how do we take, um, not how do we take, but someone who's listening to this Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just trying to put myself like in my own shoes 10 years ago mm-hmm. when all like this, a lot of this conversation might've gone over my head mm-hmm. or it might be grasping some ideas, but it just sounds like, well, like, I don't know, even know if I'm on your guys level, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you guys are on the varsity level, not I'm blowing 
you know, hot air up. We're our almost skirts, on but, the varsity. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're competing for varsity. No, I, and I didn't mean to say it that way, but like we're, we put some work into it, right? right? We can have this type of conversation, yep. um, which I would not have been able to have uh, many years ago. Mm-hmm. So taking that guy, like, okay, this all sounds theoretically interesting and I'd like to be able to get to that level, but I'm at ground zero. Mm-hmm. Where, where does, where would you recommend a guy who's just getting started in this conversation? Like you said, who's maybe like arms crossed be like, okay, you've, you've cracked open something for me, but I don't know exactly where to begin. Mm-hmm. Where does a guy start to just like start to chip away at that, mm. you know, mask or mm-hmm. the, the layers? Like what would you say in terms of just helping a guy gets started in terms of evolving. You're one of the best question askers I know. Um, and if I, if you ask me that same question tomorrow, it probably sound a little bit different. Um, cause it is a great question, but I would honestly start with write down your story of what you learned masculinity means, what, what man up means to you, yeah. write, write a list of all that. And, and also in that, as you're writing that list, reflect upon those moments in your life where, these sort of mandates were enforced by men or boys, right? And and then I want you to, after you write that list, I just wanted you to put a big W-H-Y question mark. Yeah. The bottom of that. Yeah. Why? Yeah. So that you can just pause and look at it, right? Because that's what woke me up to it. Um, I, I came out of the NFL and started working in the public schools and Mapleton public schools. And... I was working with a group of eighth grade boys and our, our counselor, Allison Lucero Hoffman, she came and she was like, Hey, would you, would you be interested in this project pave coming to your class? This is what they're about. And this lady from pave, uh, Inetti Rodriguez, who's now the associate director of gender and equity studies at Metro state university. She comes in and, and gives this workshop about teen dating violence and healthy relationships. And, and a portion of this workshop in, included an activity around uh, the man box and the ladylike box. And when she, she did this reflection with us, she didn't give us any of the answers. She said, you heard this term, you know, man up. And she put real man, yeah. you act like a lady. Has anybody heard that? Okay. She put this up there. So what are all the things that this means? And she had us list out and this is 14 year old boys. I'm kind of not chiming in cause I want them to yeah. take the lead. Yeah. And as she mapped this out with them, I was just like, that's the story of my life right yeah, there. That's yeah. why I was called gay. It had nothing to do with yeah. my sexuality and I love gay people. Great. But I was called gay because of these things. I wasn't, I was showing too much respect to girls. I was supposed to be yeah. objectifying them yeah. in this box. Right. Yeah. So when I saw that box, the man box, the man rules on a list, it was just like chillingly revelatory for me. And it wasn't shame. It was a wake up call. Like, wow, light bulb went off. Okay. And I was expected to live up to these standards. Mm. And then she asked us to put all the words and actions that keep this framework in place. Well, what do we call a guy who's not living up to these things? And then all the feminine words come yeah. out, all yeah. the gay words yeah. come out. Yeah. And, you know, man up, stop acting like a bitch. Don't be a pussy, yeah. faggot. All these yeah. terms yeah. say, get back into that box. Don't be you, be this man box. Yeah. So when I realized that after she did that activity, it was exactly what I was just saying to you. Like, it was a list. Why? Oh, because we're not expected to be our true self. We're expected to fit into this totally, box totally. that nobody really fits into. Totally, totally. It's it's so uh, restrictive, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it does not allow for a whole lot of, like you said, wiggle room. No, nope. um, and it's given and taken. Yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I fought that too, because I remember being in high school, like, uh, being the athlete, being popular, mm. being that guy. Mm. <laughs> but then I had a big heart for people too. Mm-hmm. And so I would talk to people who were, um, you know, less popular, let's just say mm-hmm. that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I would get called out for it. Mm-hmm. And then I remember one time in particular, I was, you know, with the guys in the locker room, like, no man, she's, she's just, you know, like I, I caved, yeah. you know, like, yeah. no, no, it's just like, I'm just, and around comes the corner is, is her brother, mm. you know, who I just talked badly about. Cause I actually really did like her, but I didn't want to lose face with the guys. Yep. And the guy threw me up against like, he was a big football dude and I almost got my ass beat. But, and then I felt shame because I'm like, I'm, I'm being two faced, yeah. you know, and then I'm teasing other people in math class and this mm-hmm. and that I'm like, just to be cool, you yeah. know how it is in, in high school, yeah. but yet we still do that a lot Oh yeah, as adults all yes, the way sir. through our lives. And Absolutely. I think that's a big part of what you're saying, which is like, we need to break open that box mm-hmm. or not even break it open. Just, just redefine it. Yep. Completely. Yep. Sensitive, um, uh, thoughtful, compassionate guy. Yeah. We need you. Keep being you. Yeah. Gay guy out there. We need you. Yeah. Keep being you. Yeah. Right. And, and and that to me is what what guys need to hear, yeah. is is that regardless of your attraction or your sort of character makeup, like you are valuable. You yeah. are yeah. worthy. Yeah. And and the more compassionate and sensitive you are, the more ostracized you get by the the masculine culture. Yeah. And my pushback is f the masculine culture on that. We need you yeah. to be you. Yeah. Cause we need you to be a part of this transformation. Yeah. Cause yeah. those guys that are pushing on you and teasing you, bullying you, they, they are impacted by the same card. Absolutely. They're not demons. Absolutely. They're just to this two faced expectation that we're all supposed to live up to. Yeah. But until we have the, the courage and the confidence to be our true selves, we don't transform that narrative. Right. Which is why so many of the, the gay men that I've had come into my men's groups are deeply, you know, just, scared and mm-hmm. you know intimidated by like and just saying uh, you know a lot of them uniformly say i've just always been intimidated by that real masculine mm-hmm. man you know mm-hmm. and a lot of them don't feel like they're man enough right because they're you know right. and being that you know i've i've worked through my dad coming out 12 years ago or 13 years ago and it's a lot easier for me mm-hmm. to make that transition I'm like oh but you're still my dad yep i still love you yep you know mm-hmm. um and that sort of thing but it's it's it is kind of nice to, to see um, not only the stuff that I'm doing, the stuff that you're doing, just, just the world in general. It's coming along, you yeah. know, slowly but surely, just starting to uh, let those constructs of, of prejudice or judgment start to break down because it's, it's saying something to someone just a couple of hours ago, like I would not probably care so much about all the uh, BLM stuff going on if i didn't actually have other good buddies of color that i have now in denver because of the work that i'm doing otherwise i'd probably still have white friends like i always have and it's this stuff has happened because i came from st louis and you know all i've lived long enough to to have enough of these beatings and Mm -hmm. then writing to be like oh here goes another one Mm -hmm. where this one was like no these are these are it just to to put a face and a personality and a person to a movement, whether we're talking about BLM or gay rights mm-hmm. or f- f- feminine rights yep. or, you know, it's like, man, all of this is just all part of the same type of effed up kind of yeah. interconnected web that's been built before we were even born. Yep. 
but now we need to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. So it's like personal development for the world. Yes. Social collective human development. right? Right. And one thing that I want to point out in that vein is that this country was very strategically segregated and and racism was maintained covertly. Yes. Right. So it was sort of hidden from the general public outside of the marginalized people. Right. As a marginalized person, I have known my whole life that police kill unarmed people of color, Mm -hmm. mainly men. Mm -hmm. I've known that. Right. And what is to me the powerful point right here with social media and just how connected we can be with this is that racism would not be systemically ingrained like it is right now if the majority of people who identify as white knew that yeah it wouldn't segregation has allowed has has prevented most people who identify as white like yourself from seeing what the marginalized experience really is and therefore doing something to challenge that. Right. right? I know that we wouldn't be right here right now if most people who identify as white really knew what the marginalized experience is. And that's why I have hope right now. Yeah. Um, Because I do see that a minority the the consolidation of white male power, that minority of us that has power that veil of their innocence is starting to peel back Mm -hmm. and the majority of us are showing up. I mean, when I see one uh, light skinned lady and I say light skin as opposed to white, um, because I do believe the black and white drug is also what perpetuates that light, good, dark, bad, white and black. Um, But when I see this light skinned lady in Montana who Mm -hmm. probably identifies as white, holding up a sign by herself about black lives matter. She was the sole protester. And then when I see the news going around from city to city, and I see some cities is primarily white. I see Mitch Rom- Mitt Romney yep. and the crew in Salt Lake City. And uh, Spike Lee made a joke about this. The jazz aren't in, so there was no fuel of color. That one. <laughs> um, but it was primarily people who identify as white yeah. marching for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. That's when things start to change. Yep. If, if we could have transformed our marginalization in the past 400 years as yeah. dark-skinned people, we would have. Yeah. We tried to. Yeah. And we got criminalized, demonized, martyred in every way yeah. to maintain the power structures. Yeah. But again, my faith is in the majority, yeah. not the minority. Yeah. And that minority of power is transforming quickly because all of this collective rage and compassion is coming out in policies to where we're going to redirect funds to social emotional support as opposed to punitive punishment. Punitive punishment wouldn't, wouldn't work back to your point on the 13th is, you know, out of this whole globe, we have 5% of the globe's population in the United States. Mm -hmm. We have 25% of the globe's prison population in the United States. Mm -hmm. Well, why do we have that? Because prison is the slavery of today. It's how slavery has been kept alive. And the 13th amendment did that. And, we need to rework some of these constitutional amendments yep. because slavery should not be. We did that in Colorado in 2018. We changed the Colorado yep. Constitution because we put a voting amendment that said we're not going to allow slavery to be justified because someone's deemed criminal. But it was clear that time. If you go back to 2016 in the Colorado uh, ballot, the language was tricky we didn't understand it and we didn't vote for it so that language kept alive so um this is a real turning point for us and as you see it's 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 stemming around the globe it's not just the united states so i feel a sense of extreme hope right now but i'm not banking on it It these incidences happened before so i'm sort of like all right people who identify as white yeah let's see let's see the change yeah which i think is a healthy way of 
approaching it because I, I, I think it's just like I don't know maybe it is maybe it's not um I don't know I'm just that's my gut instinct which is like let's just not get overly confident definitely not I'm not confident at all I have hope yeah I have hope too and that's where it's like okay which which to me keeps a healthy amount of pressure mm-hmm. on the white community to do something about it yep otherwise if it's like oh yeah we already we did all white people did enough posts on social media. We're good now. Like, posts don't change the no, policy. No, that doesn't do shit. Posts don't change gentrification. And I put a black square up the other day, mm-hmm. you know, and then I took it down because like, I put it up just because I, I got on social media that day, Blackout Tuesday, whatever, just saw it. It's like, well, I'm, let me um, join in. Yeah. And then I was like, what? I don't even know what this, why am I doing this? Or where did this originate from? Yeah. So I took it down because I was like, that's just another great example of like, oh, everyone's running in a direction. So I might as well run with them. Mm-hmm. I'm like, now stop before I act, you know, think before I act and, and that sort of thing. And just, uh, start questioning all of, it's just challenging because it's mm-hmm. COVID. There's just a lot of rawness to people's mm-hmm. emotions, you know, but I think mm-hmm. maybe that's, maybe that's the perfect time, you know, yeah. you know, so anyways, thank you for being thank here. You. Appreciate you being here. Looking forward for, to talking for with you talking. again. Yeah. Soon. We're going to do this again. Um, would love to hear you guys feedback and responses to anything that resonated and, if you wanted to to further conversation with you or get in touch with you, is there any way that they can reach out? And yeah, go ahead and shoot me an email, dmccoy at projectpave.org. That's my work email. I will correspond with you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you again. Thank you, Johnny. Really appreciate Love it. You, I feel like. Love you too. We'll, uh, we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll, we'll check in with you later. Take care. And I want to thank you so much for listening to The Johnny King Show. And hey, if you got something positive from this episode, please subscribe to the show, share it on your favorite social platform, and then tag me in it so I can say hi. It would also mean the world to me if you wrote a review of the show on Apple Podcasts because I read every single one. Do you feel like there's something I could be doing better? Awesome. I totally thrive on constructive feedback, and it's always welcome. So if you've got questions or concerns, you can always reach me via email at podcast at johnnyking.com. And then please follow me on Instagram at Johnny King, Facebook.com backslash Johnny King Men's Coach on my YouTube channel and LinkedIn. Thanks again for joining me. I've been Johnny King. You've been amazing. And we'll catch up with you next time. Take care.